Uh, a few years ago, our family took a vacation uh, to the California coast. We were actually as far north in California as you can get without being in Oregon. And it was, it's one of our favorite uh, places to go. We rented a beach house there from a friend of a friend. Another family went with us. We had a great time. And when we got to our last night there, we wanted to enjoy one more campfire at sunset on the beach. And so we gathered up the s'more stuff and headed down. We gathered rocks for the fire ring. We started the fire. And after several minutes, we broke out the graham crackers and the chocolate and the marshmallows. And I don't remember why this was important to me, but I remember feeling like I needed to move one of the rocks that was in the fire ring. And then I did something really, really dumb. Without thinking, I reached out with my hand to move the rock. And I had two thoughts simultaneously. Wow, that was really, really dumb. Wow, this really, really hurts. I burned my fingers pretty badly. And uh, normally I would go run them under cold water, but we were like a six-minute walk from the house. And so what am I going to do? One of the other adults had a a wide-mouth water bottle with cold water in it. She said, do you want to put your fingers in this? And I was like, yes, please. So I, I did, and you know what? It really helped. It dulled the pain. They still hurt, but it was bearable. So I kept my fingers in that water for a few minutes, and then I took them out, and then put them right back in. Because when my fingers came out of the water, they hurt so bad, so much worse. And so I kept my fingers in the water bottle. That was my last night of vacation. Everyone else is taking pictures and enjoying the sunset and eating s'mores, savoring the last night of vacation. And I'm there with my fingers in a water bottle, (laughs) reflecting on how stupidly I'd acted and how much it hurt and was going to hurt if I took my fingers out. Kept my fingers in the water bottle as we packed up and went back up to the house when we were all done there. Kept my fingers in the water bottle when we were putting things away. But eventually I realized, okay, this is not a long-term solution. Uh, I can't go to sleep like this. I've, at some point I've got to take my fingers out, but it hurts so bad. One of the other adults said, you know, something like this happened to a friend of mine and they just had to kind of go through the pain of having it out and then it got better. And I knew she was right but I didn't want to do it because it hurt so badly. But finally, I did. I took my fingers out. And you know what? It did not hurt as bad as I thought. It hurt a lot worse. It was so painful. It was like so painful. And for like five minutes, it just hurt. But then, thankfully, the pain did start to subside. It still hurt, but it was much, much better. Now, I tell you that story to remind you that sometimes in order to experience healing in our lives, we have to endure some discomfort, even some pain. That was true for me with my fingers when I burned them, and it's true for the area of soul health that we're talking about today. Uh, we are continuing in our, continuing in our series, a uh, little mini-series called The Healthy Soul. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how a healthy soul requires a secure identity. Last week, we talked about how that requires finding restoration and healing. Next week, we're going to shift gears and talk about healthy mission, following Christ in California. It's going to be great. Uh, But today, we want to finish up this little mini-series by addressing another essential component of a healthy soul, and that is being able to grieve our losses, being able to grieve our losses and receive God's comfort. You know, grieving is something that was natural and normal 
in the cultures in which the Bible was written, especially the ancient Jewish culture, they had set expectations for what grief entailed and when you would do it and how long you would do it. But grief is something that I don't think is natural and normal in our culture today. It's not something that most people want to do because we want to maximize pleasure and minimize pain and grief is uncomfortable. It's painful. So many people want to avoid grieving. One of the problems with that is that we want to avoid it, but it's unavoidable. Grief is connected to loss. Grief is what we feel when we lose someone or something. And, and those losses are just going to happen in life. We often think about grief and loss in terms of losing someone we love when they die, and that is a significant source of grief in our lives. Uh, and it's unavoidable. Uh, until Jesus returns, death is a part of the human experience. But there's all sorts of other losses that we experience. We experience a loss of relationship through a divorce, a breakup, a friendship falling apart, family relationships splintering. We experience a loss of trust when someone betrays us. We can experience a loss of innocence. There's all sorts of losses, great and small, that we experience in life, and there's no way to avoid those losses, which means there's no way to avoid grief, yet we want to avoid grief because it's uncomfortable. So what a lot of people do is they deny. That's their tactic. I just deny it. Oh, it didn't happen. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, it's just, I'm beyond it. I moved past it. A variation on that is that some people try to diminish whatever happened. Ah, I mean, it happened, but... It wasn't that big of a deal. Other people have had it so much worse. Not a big deal. And kind of the, the logic is because it shouldn't hurt that bad, therefore it doesn't hurt that bad. Uh, other people will try to distract themselves from the grief. And they'll do that with, you know, whatever sorts of addictions. Alcohol or drugs or pornography or sex or one relationship after another. Some people will try to distract themselves by working super hard either working hard at their, at their job or even just working out physically, that they're working hard to try to exhaust themselves so they don't have to think about whatever it was that happened. People will deny, they'll diminish, they'll try to distract themselves, anything to keep their fingers in the water bottle and not face the pain of whatever happened. Of course, what happens if you do that for a long time is that other problems crop up. If you deny it, you become emotionally numb, but then all of your emotions shut off. Uh, you, those distracting behaviors start to take their toll. There's a cost associated with those. Uh, you know, when we try to stuff down the losses that we've experienced, eventually there's no more room to stuff, and so those losses start to leak out, often as anger, often towards the people who are closest to us, or those losses rot and fester in our souls, and bitterness takes root. But worst of all, if we don't grieve our losses, we can't experience the comfort of God. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When we mourn, we're getting that grief up and out and it creates space in us to be able to receive the comfort of God. If we're not grieving, if we're not making that space, we really limit our capacity for God's comfort and healing. So it matters that it become more natural and normal for us to grieve well. Some of us, in order to feel again, are going to have to grieve. Some, in order to get to the root of your anger issues, are going to have to grieve. 
some in order to really deal with the destructive behaviors and patterns of behavior in your life, you've got to grieve. And for all of us, if we're going to receive God's comfort, we have to grieve well. We're going to make a start at this by looking at uh, Psalm 137 today. Now, Psalm 137, you can turn there now if you have a Bible, but it's one of those psalms that when you read it, and especially when you get to the last verse, you might wonder, what on earth is this doing in Scripture? But I want to look at this psalm, including the hard and uncomfortable parts, and, because there's some principles in there that will help us grieve well. Uh, so would you stand with me and follow along as I read uh, this psalm for us? Psalm 137, beginning in verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Well, Lord, we read that and we are sobered and startled, but we believe that in this passage of Scripture, no less than any other, you have something you want to speak to us. So we say, yes, Holy Spirit, to the revelation that you want to bring to us through your word today. We pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart that we can see you more clearly and that we'd see ourselves more clearly in light of who you are. We pray that you would open our ears and our minds to hear and understand all that you want to say to us today and we say no to any distraction or confusion that would get in the way of that. We say no to any agenda other than your agenda that would want to exert itself and be at work in this time. And we pray, Lord, that you would move by your spirit on our hearts to quicken us and to respond to you the ways you want us to respond today, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so the context for this is alluded to in the psalm, but it's the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. This is something we read about at the end of 2 Kings. The Babylonians came, they besieged Jerusalem for, for several months. This caused a great famine in the city that caused a lot of suffering. Then when the Babylonians finally took the city, they captured the king, they killed his sons and then put out his, in, in front of him and then put out his eyes. The Babylonians looted and destroyed the temple of God. They burned the city of Jerusalem and they tore down its walls. Then they took all but the very poorest people back to Babylon as captives. And it's there in exile in Babylon that the psalmist composes this lament in response to what's happened to him and his countrymen. And in this lament, he shows us how to grieve, how to grieve well. So as we look closely at this psalm, I want to uh, see three components of good grief uh, to have a threefold answer to the question, how can we grieve well? The first thing we see is that in order to grieve well, we've got to acknowledge our losses. We've got to remember them. We've got to state them. We can't ignore or deny them. And we see this here in, 
in the psalm, in verse 4, the psalmist says, um, well, actually in verse 1, he says, we remembered Zion. And then a couple of verses later, I think it's verses 5 and 6, actually, he says, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may I never be able to write or sing another song again. You notice that the psalmist does not say, you know, that was hard what happened, but it was in the past and we're moving on and we're just going to make the best of it here in Babylon. And he does the opposite of that. He says, we're not going to forget. I'm going to remember what happened and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to say the name Jerusalem because what happened there mattered and it was hard. He's acknowledging that loss. Loss is always, uh, grief is always connected to loss. So being able to state what we lost is an important component of our grief. To be able to be specific and thorough in putting words to the loss that we experienced. There might be a tendency in our trying to avoid the pain of grief to talk about it or them in very general terms or maybe not to talk about what happened at all. But what the psalmist models for us here is, no, you got to say the name and you got to state it and we're going to remember it. We're not going to wallow in it. We're not going to try to stay in that place, but we're going to face it instead of stuffing it or denying it. We're going to acknowledge what was lost. And we're going to acknowledge that loss. It's also important to acknowledge the losses within the loss. You know, what we find is, especially with a major loss in our life, there's what happened, and there's all the implications of that. There's the loss, and then there's all the losses within that loss. So maybe you've experienced the pain of of betrayal or abuse. There's some grieving to do over that, but you might also recognize I've also lost the ability to easily trust others. That's a related loss. You lose someone you love. There's the pain of that, but then you also realize, and I lost all those future moments that I was looking forward to with that person, and I lost the opportunity to say to them what I needed to say. I lost the opportunity for them to say what I wanted them to say to me. There's the losses within the loss. What we find is that there often are layers to our loss, and we grieve, and then we discover, but there's more to grieve. There's another angle uh, from which to grieve. You know, my, um, my mom uh, passed away in the summer of 2019 from Alzheimer's. And any of you that have walked that road with someone, you know there's a lot of losses that you grieve even before the moment of death. And as those losses happened, I grieved them. And then when she died, I entered into grief as fully as I could. I did not deny or diminish or distract myself. I, I really tried to grieve well, and and I think I did. But then about seven months later, I was doing an assignment for a class that I was taking where we had to to do a grief journal, and I I had to record losses that I'd experienced in my life and and write about them. And, you know, a lot of the losses that I'd experienced I was writing about, I'd grieved well, so there wasn't a lot of emotion associated with them. And even when I wrote about my, my mom dying, it didn't trigger a lot of emotion, but then I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit that there's some losses within the loss that I hadn't yet faced. And I realized that I had never grieved the last times that I had experienced important things with my mom. So I, so I journaled about the last time that I heard her playing the piano and the last time that I heard her pray. And the last time she said, I love you, Tim. The last time that she recognized me when I went to visit her. And uh, there's some emotion with those. 
There still is. Maybe I need to go back to that. <laughs> but there was emotion that came because it was another layer of loss. There were losses within the loss that I hadn't yet grieved. It matters that we give some words to our losses because otherwise those ungrieved losses pile up in our souls and a cluttered soul is not a healthy soul. We've got to get those losses up and out, put them into words so that we can receive the comfort of God. How do we do this? Well, if you're the type of person that connects well with journaling, you can journal about, about your losses and that can, be, that can be helpful. If you're like me and journaling really isn't your thing, then I recommend just making a loss list and praying through it. Take a notebook and a pen and go somewhere private with the Lord and just ask him, God, what are the losses that I need to grieve? And whatever he brings to mind, write them down. You're not writing about them, you're just listing what they are. Then go back through and pray through them and say, God, this is what happened. This is how I feel about it. This is what's connected to it and just pray through. Now, if you've never done this, you might discover that it's kind of a long list. And some of the things on there might go back a long ways. That's okay. And you don't have to, you don't have to tackle it all in one sitting. You can, you can you come at it a few times. But as we will do this, as we will acknowledge what was lost and talk and pray through it, that's a part of grieving. And we'll, we'll find that we're able to move through those losses and experience God's comfort. So to grieve well, we've got to acknowledge what was lost. We've got to remember and state it and face it. But we also, if we're going to grieve well, we've got to be able to express our emotions. Now, we talked about this last week, and we're coming at it again this week because it's really, really important. And it's important not just when we're thinking about restoration and healing in general, but specifically when we're talking about receiving God's comfort. Uh, We've got to include this as part of our discussion. We certainly see a lot of emotions alluded to and on display in Psalm 137. Uh, There's two that I want to focus on because they're very, very common when we're facing grief. And the first is sadness. You notice that's how the psalm starts. He says, by the rivers of Babylon, a place we never wanted or expected to be, we sat and wept. You, You might say, Tim, to say that sadness is a part of grief feels like you're stating the obvious. Like we use those terms synonymously, grief and sadness. Yes, but notice that the psalmist does not just feel sad, he expresses that sadness, he weeps, and his countrymen with him weep. Notice also that it says we sat and wept. We paused what we were doing so we could give attention to our grief. We did not try to multitask our grieving. We hung up our harps for a season we did not do what we would normally do so that we could grieve fully and well. Friends, it is tempting when we experience loss in our life to try to get through that as quickly as possible because we want to get back to normal as quickly as possible because we don't like the discomfort of grief and facing that. That's a temptation, but friends, we got to resist that if we're going to experience the full comfort of God in our lives, especially with a major loss if we're going to feel what we truly feel, if we have the time and space to be able to express that, we've got to pause and not do what we would normally do. We've got to live differently for a season. I understand that there are parts of life that we can't just put on hold. You still have obligations that you've got to attend to, yes, but there are some things that we've got to hang up for a season so that we can give attention to our grief. 
It's not what we want to do. It's not where we want to be. But if it's where we are, we need to give attention to it so that we can move through it, so that we can receive God's comfort. We've got to be able to express our emotions. I, I talked last week about how this is hard for some folks. You know, uh, guys get, can get this message in our culture that, you know, guys don't show emotion. Or a variation on that is it's okay for guys to show emotion, but only for, for good things. When your team wins the championship, you're allowed to cry. But only if it's tied to a victory, never if it's tied to defeat. You, it's okay if it's connected to a win, but never to a loss. And do you know that it's not just men that sometimes struggle with this? I don't presume to know what this feels like, but I've heard from women who have said, look, I don't like looking or feeling out of control. And so I don't like to cry because I feel out of control when I cry. I've heard women say, look, I know there's still a stereotype in some people's minds that you know, women are emotional, and I don't want to feed that stereotype. So I tightly control my emotions. Look, there can be a lot of reasons for men and women why we would resist expressing our emotions. But I, I'm telling you, we've got to do that if we're going to receive the full comfort of God. My point is not to say you have to cry or you're not spiritual. My point is we've got to express that sadness however it comes out, including, yes, tears, if and when that's appropriate. In this, we're being like Jesus. If we resist expressing our emotions, it's unhelpful, it's unhealthy, it's unbiblical, and it's unchristlike. We see the emotions of Jesus, and interestingly, not at his moments of victory. Jesus did not cry when he fed the 5,000. He did not cry when he was raised from the dead or when he ascended into heaven. When do we see Jesus crying? At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who had died. We see Jesus crying as he contemplates Jerusalem and how they're going to reject him and what he represents and what's going to happen to that city in the not-too-distant future. Jesus cries in the Garden of Gethsemane as he contemplates his upcoming torture and death and abandonment by his friends. So we're like the psalmist, we're like Jesus, when we express the sadness that we feel, even when that comes out as tears. Expressing our emotions includes sadness. It also includes anger. Uh, let's look again at verses 8 and 9. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This uh, is not a, uh, a plea that a bloodthirsty psalmist invented. Because this is actually what happened when Jerusalem fell. The Babylonians killed young children and infants in this way by dashing them against rocks. So this plea is not bloodthirsty, but brokenhearted. It's coming from the anguished souls of aunts and uncles, grandparents, fathers and mothers who had seen their precious ones killed in this way. And they're saying, I want you to suffer the way I'm suffering. I want you to have to endure what I endured. As verse 8 says, this is a cry for, for that they be paid back. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. The way to read this is not happy is one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It really is happy is one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It's this cry that's welling up, a cry of anguish and pain and anger to say something needs to happen here. It's not okay what happened. There, there should be some kind of payback. 
Now, you might say, Tim, you need to go back and listen to your sermon from last week. Because this flies in the face of what you said about not seeking retribution and foregoing that and trusting the appropriate authorities, including God, to work justice. Yes, amen. What is there in verse 9 is not godly. It's not, it's not merciful. It's not the stance we should take. It's not what we should feel. It's not where we should land. But folks, if we put up a filter of what we should feel when we're grieving, we're not going to grieve fully. Anger is one of the emotions most commonly associated with grief. If we don't find an outlet for that anger, what happens to it? It will not just disappear. It might morph into something else, or it might just leak out, but it doesn't go away. So we've got to find a way to healthily express that anger. And and look, we want to land in the place of I'm not going to pay them back, and I put them into your hands, God. We've we've got to get there, but many people discover that getting there means going through a spot where you say, but I sure want to pay them back. I sure want vengeance and retribution. And if we're not willing to admit that, we're short-circuiting part of the healing process and the comfort that God wants to give to us. See, that anger, if we don't express it, it it won't go away. We've got to find a way to get it out. Um, <laughs> and what I'm talking about with, with anger, I, I want to be clear, that I, I'm not saying that grief gives you an excuse to become a rage-filled person. Okay, we're not talking about it's okay for you to be an a, a, a angry, raging jerk because you experienced a loss. And it's not okay to take it out on the people close to you. But I am just saying we've got to find some way for that anger to be expressed in a healthy way. One healthy way is to take it to God and say, God, this is how I feel. This is what it is right now. This is, it, even if it's not right, it is what I feel. God, th- this is what I feel. Uh, we've, maybe with a friend to say, look, we just be a sounding board. I'm not mad at you, but I'm angry and I've got to get this out. We just, we just witness this and stand with me in this and, and express it to them. But to find a healthy way to express that anger. Sometimes the anger we feel is at what actually happened to us. Sometimes it's at the person who hurt us. Sometimes when the loss is because of someone who passed away, our anger can even be at that person. And we have to recognize that. To say, um, you know, to say, I'm angry that my spouse died and left me alone. Is that rational? Maybe not. Is it real? A lot of widows and widowers would say, yeah, it's a real emotion. You know, even, or someone who's passed away say, I'm angry that they didn't treat me better than they did. I'm angry that they didn't say to me what they should have said. I'm angry for the way they left our relationship. That anger has to be expressed. Otherwise, it'll, it'll tear us down. See, I feel like where a lot of people get stuck is in this cycle where they, they experience a loss. They feel anger, but then they feel guilty at, because they're angry. And so they suppress what they're feeling. But then something happens that reminds them of the loss, so they feel angry again, then they feel guilty again, and they suppress it again. And they're just stuck in this miserable cycle where they never work through the grief to get to the comfort and healing. Because every time the anger comes up, they say, oh, that's illegitimate, I can't feel it. What you do with the anger matters, but that you feel it is an important part of the grieving process. 
We've got to be able to express our emotions, sadness, anger, whatever else it is, if we're going to grieve well. And Psalm 137 shows us that. So we've got to acknowledge our losses. We've got to express our emotions. And thirdly, to grieve well, we've got to include God in our grief. In this psalm, we see sadness, weeping, anger, desire for vengeance, pain at the memory of Jerusalem, but there's also an appeal to God. Verse 7 says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. And if you look at that verse, you notice that Lord there is in all capital letters. And when we see that, it's telling us that it's translating the Hebrew name for God that we sometimes render as Jehovah or Yahweh. This is the personal name of God that he revealed to Moses. This is the name of God that emphasizes that he made a covenant with his people. It's a name of God that emphasizes the faithfulness and compassionate mercy of God toward his people. And it's no coincidence that this is the name of God that's used in this psalm. Because when the psalmist cries out, remember Lord, this is a call for God's attention. Saying, hey God, if you're really who you are, if you're really faithful and merciful, then you got to pay attention to what happened. I remember, do you remember covenant faithful God, what happened? Are, are you paying attention to Jerusalem and what happened to that city and what the Babylonians did? If you're really the compassionate, merciful, faithful God, then pay attention to this. It's a call for God's attention, and it's a cry for justice. Remember the Edomites and what they did. They, they took advantage of us when we were at our most vulnerable. We share this common heritage with them, going back to Isaac. But when the chips were down, they turned against us. They rooted for our enemies. They wanted to see us destroyed. Remember God and do something about that. If you're really who you say you are, if you're really the Lord then do something about this. I wonder if it felt to the psalmist like God was the faithful God of covenant when he was weeping by the rivers of Babylon. I wonder if it felt to the psalmist like God was the God of steadfast love and compassionate mercy when he reflected on the horrors of the fall of Jerusalem. Yet despite what he was feeling, or maybe because of what he was feeling, the psalmist included God in his grief. That is an incredibly important example for us to see. Your grief, your mourning, your lament can be a place where you meet God. So we don't want to exclude him from our grief. Even if we don't see how what we're experiencing aligns with what we know to be true of God's character. Even if what we're bringing to God and including him in is raw and unfiltered and inappropriate. Listen, God knows that you're thinking and feeling that anyway. If you don't express it to him, you are not protecting him from it. If you don't express it, you're also not making it as if you never felt it or thought it. All you're doing is preventing God from having access to those parts of you. You're preventing him from being able to do something to help you with the inappropriate things you're feeling. So we want to bring those to God. You know, we often talk about the book of Psalms as the worship manual or the hymn book for, for Israel, and it is. So isn't it interesting that at least a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament? It's almost as if 
God knew that we were going to need permission to bring our grief to him. It's almost as if he wanted to give us language we could use to do that when our words run out. The God who inspired scripture seemed to think that lament can be a form of worship. Will you worship God with your lament? When we worship God, we bring to him who we are. And that doesn't just mean bringing to him the positive emotions we feel. Yes, it means that. When we're joyful and grateful and thankful, yes, we bring those to God. But worship means presenting ourselves to God even when what we feel is, is, feels wrong to us or feels dark or, is, or it's the pain and the loss and the sadness and the anger. But when we present ourselves to God, that is an act of worship so we can worship God in our lament. How do we do this? One thing that I found helpful is to tell God how I feel and how things look from my perspective. I always think it's a good idea to avoid blasphemy, so to avoid accusing God of things that aren't true of him. So what I do is say, well, this is what it looks like and feels like. So I've prayed these prayers before. God, right now, it does not feel like you are good. It does not feel to me like you're keeping your promises. From my perspective, it doesn't look like you're being just right now. And with those prayers, I say, God, my perspective is finite and it's not as good as yours. And I'm probably wrong in what I feel, but this is what I feel. My perspective is probably not right, but this is how it looks to me right now. And so I bring that to God. I'm including him in that. This is how it feels. This is how it looks. Another way that we can do this is to ask questions of God. And we have the, lots of examples in the Psalms of hard questions that we can come to the Lord with as part of our worship. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Many times in the Psalms. Why are you not paying attention to our prayers? Why are you not answering me? Where are you? Why are you so far away from me? Why are you not intervening on my behalf? Where are you? These are all biblical questions. We have them examples for us in scripture those questions we can ask those of God it's a way of expressing what's going on but in doing that we're including God in the process we've got to include God in our in our grieving the degree to which we include God in our grieving is the degree to which he'll be involved in our healing and so we want to open wide every part of us even the raw ugly unfiltered inappropriate parts and say okay Lord here it is this is what I feel I'm inviting you into this It's quite an irony that we've got to be uncomfortable in order to experience God's comfort. I, I, I know that what we would like to do is keep our fingers in the water bottle for as long as possible because the pain is so intense. I also realize that this morning I'm poking at some tender areas in our lives. And I'm not doing that for the sake of the pain or the discomfort, but I'm doing that because I want you to receive the comfort of God in your life. I want you to receive the full comfort of God in your life. And the only way we do that is to mourn and to grieve. It's, it's just it's the way it works. And so my plea is, would, would we grieve well so that we can experience the comfort of God? So that we don't stay stuck in grief, but can move healthily through it to a place where we've received and we're living in God's comfort. As we see in Psalm 137 and so many other places in Scripture, that means we've got to acknowledge the losses. Remember them, state them, don't ignore or deny them. We've got to express our emotions, the sadness, the anger, whatever else may be there. We've got to include God in our grieving and in that process. 
So I want to encourage you, friends, to do that. I, I think that many of us may need to set aside some time later today, this week, to, to listen to the Lord and say, God, what are the losses I need to grieve? To journal about them, to make a loss list and pray through it. Uh, to, some of you, if you're wired this way, you might want to write your own psalm of lament. Take one of the, the biblical psalms of lament as a model and write your own version to God. But whatever you've got to do to engage in the grieving process, we might need to do that. I know that we all have experienced all sorts of losses in our lives. But many of you have some losses in common if you've been a part of chapel for the last three or four years. And, uh, you know, we all grieve at different rates and in different ways. And so maybe some of you who have been here through those years of crisis and pain, maybe you've already grieved fully. That's great. I'm not calling you to revisit that or I don't want you to feel guilty if you've already worked through that. Amen. Bless you. But there could be some, and I, I think I can say I feel from the Lord that it's likely that there are some, that there's still a layer of loss or some losses within the loss to still be grieved from what happened at chapel in this last season. You know, sometimes we can get distracted by what happened to other people. And let me tell you, you can't grieve on behalf of someone else. We mourn with those who mourn, but we can't mourn for them. We can't do that for them. And so I, I want to just encourage you to resist the temptation to say, well, what I experienced is so much less than what someone else experienced. That may be true, objectively speaking, but if it's coming to mind, it's big enough to grieve. It's not a competition. It's not about who had the biggest hurt or the greatest loss. How have you been affected? Many of you lost relationships. Have you grieved those? You lost intimacy and closeness. Relationships changed. Have you grieved that? Some of you lost your ideal of the kind of church chapel is. And I'm going to say, some who aren't in this room, but will listen to this at some later date, experience that. You lost your ideal of what chapel is. Have you mourned that loss? You, there's other losses that you've experienced, the relationships, the ideal. You lost your, your understanding of the character that another person had. You thought they were one way. It turned out they were another. Have you mourned that loss? Again, folks, I'm not doing this because I enjoy causing pain, but I really want you to receive full comfort and healing. And I want us as a church to experience every measure of healing and comfort we can experience to move forward. So I encourage you to do that, to grieve fully. Stuff that happened at chapel, stuff that's happened in your own life, all of it, bring it to the Lord so that Matthew 5, 4 will be our experience that we're blessed when we mourn because we receive the comfort of God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back so that we can uh, sing together before we close. I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads for a moment. Man, I've said a lot today, and I just want to give a moment for the Holy Spirit to sort out and surface the things that he really wants each of us to remember. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak in this moment. I especially pray, God, that you would highlight what a next step is for each person. If there are specific losses you want us to pay attention to, even now bring those to mind. And give us direction on how you want us to respond to you. 
uh, not just in this moment, but beyond this moment, Lord. Speak to us, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We sang about it earlier. We're, we're leaning hard on it in this moment because we need, we need to know your faithfulness and your new mercies. We do speak your name, Jesus, trusting that you are sufficient to meet us and that what you did on the cross does provide uh, peace for us in every area. Thank you that you carried our griefs and our sorrows. You shared in them, and you can bring us comfort and healing. We trust you for that, Lord. For every way we need that in each of our individual lives, Lord, would you do that? Would you bring the comfort and the healing we need? Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.